uh, actually doing a little bit of audience participation for the first one, which is kind of great that we're actually outside anyway, so that kind of works. I want you to name, who are the famous authors that you can think of? Just chuck them out there, any famous author that you can think of. Charles Dickens, all right, any other famous authors? Louis Stevenson, all right, any other famous authors, who else? Jane Austen, C.S. Lewis, Dostoevsky, Shakespeare, Anna Blyton, Plato. Okay, there's a lot of really, really famous authors. All right, now what I want you to do is think about all those names that I just said. And if anyone can name the editor that worked with that author. So any editor that you know definitively worked with that author. Bob? Okay, Bob. I'm not going to go check that. Anyone? What about the publishers? Anyone know the publishers that published their works? They would have, they published someone's works, yes. I mean, isn't, isn't, that, isn't that the reality that we know the famous authors, we know who wrote the books, but one of the people who talks about writing and the skill of writing just gave a little thought and said, here are just some of the roles that work on any book that is public, other than someone who self-publishes, which is obviously a growing thing, but your big authors don't generally self-publish because they're international, they're trying to sell it across the world. So you have your writer, you have your assistant editor, you have your production editor, you have your sales manager, you have a commissioning editor, you have a project editor, you have a marketing manager, and you have individual stores, obviously, that have to sell those books. And if any one of those people don't do their job, the author doesn't sell books. So we know the author, we know that that's what's there. But there is always a large team behind the person who writes the book. And without that team, without those people, without each of those people playing their role, that author doesn't get the acclaim that they come to know. That author doesn't get the finances that they came to want. Uh, that book doesn't get published. It's really important to have that team around it. Uh, we continue in our series today looking at becoming the church. How did the early church going from a little ragtag group of sort of 12, which became 11, uh, and then it sort of grew to about 120, and then we had the explosion of about 3,000 people coming to know Jesus, to today being still, as much as it might be going up and down in different places, it's still the largest religion in the world people who are following Jesus. How did this church go? What was it like? What were the stories? And what can we learn today, particularly as a church which is looking at replanting, which is looking at rebirth and regrowing and becoming the church that God called us to be? Uh, so we're going to jump in at Acts chapter 6. If you've got your physical Bibles or your phones, you don't need to have external power for that. So that's another way we can continue to work. Uh, jump with me into Acts chapter 6. So we're going to go from Acts chapter 6. And I'm just going to pick it up at verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, as we just said, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. 
but I'll just pause there for a moment. So Hellenistic Jews, in case you don't know, they were Jews that spoke Greek. So there was a group of people who were Jewish, but their main language was actually Greek. Then you've got your Hebraic Jews. Uh, they were the Jews that spoke Jewish. Uh, they were all present in the early church. And again, at this stage, but generally speaking, the church is still Jewish. It hasn't yet really exploded out into the surrounding areas with the Gentiles. It's still a predominantly Jewish church. So you've got one group which are Hellenistic and they're Greek speaking, and you've got another group which are Hebraic that are Hebrew speaking. And the Hellenistic Jews are starting to get a bit upset because their widows don't seem to be getting cared for. Now, there's a few reasons that could be behind this. Uh, one could be that they've actually just kind of not got there. There's so many widows, there's so many people. They just happen to be the ones missing out. It could be that just like we discussed last week, last week we saw human nature starting to enter the church. We had some disciples or we had some followers of Jesus who bought money towards the church and said, hey, here's all the money that I sold my property for. But they actually were lying. That wasn't the full amount. We just started to see human nature starting to creep into this early church. And maybe what's going on here, because it would never happen that people from one language would ever do anything against the people in another language. That couldn't be what it was. Maybe what's going on is the Hebraic Jews are actually being difficult towards the Hellenistic Jews because there is a language barrier. Whatever the reason for it is, is there's tension starting to build. So we'll pick it up in verse 2. So the 12, so this is the 11 disciples that were with Jesus and then they replaced Judas because Judas went off uh, and obviously betrayed Jesus. They then replaced him with another because they wanted to have 12. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So the first thing that's sort of said here, it says it would not be right. Now, the word here for right is the word arrestos. It's another way of, of describing it would be desirable. So this is not a matter of right and wrong. This is not a case of it's right for us to do it. It's wrong for us to do it. What they're meaning here is that this is probably not the best use of our time. This is probably not the best use of our resources. It would not be desirable for us to do this. This is not the disciple saying, that's beneath me. I, I can't wait on tables. That's not something that I can do. It's a recognition that they have a particular skill set and they have a particular gifting, which is best used in a different area. And one of the reasons we can actually know that this is not about, about it being beneath them is what did they look out for? They didn't just say, just find someone and just tell them to go and wait the tables. Just, just find any old person and tell them to wait the tables. No, it actually says that they need to be full of the spirit and full of wisdom. They actually are, are fairly high in terms of the requirements. They need to be people that have been demonstratedly full of the Holy Spirit. We want people who aren't operating out of their own reasons. We want people who can kind of see past maybe any divisions that might be there. We want people who are going to follow the Spirit's lead. 
And we want mature people, people who are equipped with wisdom. Because the last thing that we want is to have this group of Hellenistic Jews and this group of Hebraic Jews starting to really bubble over and cause tension and ructions and divisions in the life of the church. Now, it also does say they have to be men. And this was a realistic aspect of the church at that time. Uh, The church at that time, just like the culture around it, was very much male-dominated. And that's not to say that this is the way it needed to be or should have been, that this is right and actually that you know, now today we should only have men waiting tables. Uh, that's not what this is saying. The culture at the time was absolutely focused on male leadership. Uh, however, obviously over the history of the church, though there is still some room to move, I would suggest, uh, generally speaking, the church has played a really significant role Uh, and bringing the rights and the evolution of what women have been allowed to do within church and within culture. And it has actually been a big part of moving that forward. There's still definitely places we let it down. But this is a cultural aspect at the time. Uh, It was required that they would be men, um, but that's not something that I would say the Bible is saying we need to do today. I didn't want to gloss over that and pretend it wasn't there. It's realistic. That's what it was saying at the time. But they did have to be full of wisdom, And it was definitely encouraged that they were people who were filled with the Spirit. So we're just going to jump on down. Oh, that's right. That's actually where we're going to leave Acts for today. So what we've actually got is we've got this group of people. There are some jobs that are sort of falling through the cracks. And they're trying to think as a church, how do we go about doing these things? How, How do we make sure that this isn't missed out. Well, what I actually want to do is I want us to jump into Romans chapter 12. So jump with me to Romans chapter 12. Because there are some other places from early in the church's existence where we learn about team, where we learn about how do we go about making sure the things that need to be done, get done. How do we learn? How do we grow? How do we make sure that there's no I in team? So Romans chapter 12, I'm just going to pick it up and read verses 4 to 8. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. The premise, obviously, of this passage, and anyone who's been around the church for a while will have heard this passage before, is the idea that as the church, we are one body. We are one group. But every single person in the church is equipped, is called, is encouraged to firstly discover their gifting, to discover their area of interest, to discover their area of passion. In some cases, it's very specific and it's very obvious that God's given you something towards that. In some cases, it's actually just something that you're really passionate about. It's something that you enjoy. It's something that you want to be a part of. But every member of the church 
is encouraged and equipped to play a role in the mission of Jesus. The reason why these sort of things fall apart, why things fall through the cracks, uh, is when the church doesn't recognise and look for and try and find how each person who calls that church home can actually be a part of being equipped in in their life, in their faith, in their workplace, in their families, in their communities, where they work, rest and play. And that a very significant reason why the church thrived in the early days was for this purpose. Another place that we'll jump to is Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 11 to 16. This is Paul once again writing to the people in Ephesus. Now, the people in Ephesus were Gentiles. Uh, so this, these passages are actually, once the church has even gone beyond the early Jewish roots and it started to spread out to the Gentiles. And now Paul is trying to equip them to understand how do you follow Jesus in your culture and context. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so at the very top, it gives this list of the, it's often called the fivefold leadership, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers. And sometimes in the church, those roles can kind of be elevated and those roles can be the ones that people see and almost aspire to. But very much in this passage is expressing that the only reason they exist is to equip his people. That actually what is most important is that the people of God are equipped to do whatever their work of service might be. That, that the role of the church, why do we do this gathering? Why do we come together? We have nothing better we'd like to do on a Sunday. Like, there's never a Sunday morning that you wake up and go, I would really like to sleep in today. Like, I would really like to, you don't have to admit to that. It's all right, I understand. We gather together, not just because we want to put on a service, because then the power goes out and we have to change your life and do it any, differently anyway. We gather together as his people so that we can be encouraged, so that we can be built up, so that we can be equipped, so that we can help people take steps towards Jesus. And each person has a role to play. This is not for the super Christians. Maybe you're sitting and you're going, and I'm not quite sure if I'm, I'm not really yet, I can't really serve God in any way because I'm not, I haven't got it all together. Uh, Join the queue. I'm at the front. Uh, None of us have got it all together. Jesus didn't come and choose to work with people who had it all together. That's what we've definitely picked up through the story of the disciples. If you read through the Gospels, again and again and again, the disciples make mistakes and get it wrong. Jesus doesn't want perfect people. He wants people that are committed to walking with him to become the people that will change the world. 
And so each person has a role to play. There are different roles, but it's the same goal. So in the church, there is a role for everyone. But here's one thing that I want to be very, very clear on. This equipping is not Sunday-focused. See, sometimes the way that this is interpreted, and or sometimes this is the way that it's preached, is so we've got all these roles on the roster that need filling. So at the end of the service, I'm just going to put the roster up on the wall. And if you can come forward and fill the roster, and if we get the roster filled, that means you're equipped. No, no, that, that makes my life easier. So feel free to sign up to the... No. The whole premise of this equipping is the other six days a week. The main premise of what you need to be equipped for is can you be a good mum in your household? Can you be a good dad in your household? Can you be a good worker at your workplace? Can you be someone who demonstrates the life of Jesus to the people on your street? Can you find ways to serve in your local community group and represent Jesus in that location? Can you make sure that the people who form the body are looked after and supported and equipped and encouraged? But don't let this be boiled down to, oh, I'm going to go join the, the, the welcoming team. Thank you to those who did join the welcoming team. Do we have needs on Sundays? Absolutely. But that's almost a bit like having families. Families often have chores. It's probably not a good thing to call church things chores, but it's kind of a good analogy. That everyone in the family plays a role in making sure this happens. Great. But equipping you for works of service is so much more than just making sure that our life is easier from a roster perspective. It's helping you think through what are your pain points during the week. If you're struggling as parents, if you're struggling in your marriage, if you're struggling in your street, maybe you've got some conflict that's going on in your workplace. Part of my role, part of our church's role, is to actually be a place that helps equip you for those challenges. Are you able to share your faith and testimony? Do you have the encouragement? Do you have the words? Oh, I don't know how to do that. Okay, we need to sort of work out. We need to help you. We need to support you. To help you be equipped the other six days a week. Can you use your gifts in the Sunday context? Of course you can. Uh, there's absolutely ways and roles for people to be enrolled in that context. But it is not our primary job to fill rosters. It is our primary job to make sure that you feel equipped. So as we did the um, equipped today, maybe I should have waited until after the message and had to bring them forward. Uh, maybe you've got an area that as we think about this, you go, I really need to know how to do X. Or this is my pain point in my life at the moment. This is the area that would most release me to be following Jesus in a deeper way. If you've got something like that, I'd love you to either come and chat to me afterwards or send me an email or uh, let me know. I'd love to come and have a, have a chat with you. Come and grab coffee, tea, some sort of hot beverage. Uh, maybe a cold beverage if it's a hot day, that's okay. And help you think through how can you be equipped to serve Jesus in that way. Uh, Miroslav Volf says the following. For Christian faith, not to be idle in the world. The work of medical doctors and garbage collectors, business executives and artists, stay-at-home parents and scientists, needs to be inserted into God's story 
of the world. Whatever you identify as, whether you identify as a teacher, whether you identify as a doctor, whether you identify as a stay-at-home parent, whatever sort of jobs or titles you might give yourself, whatever might be your passions, maybe you work at a shop, And you may not even view what you're doing right now as what you are doing long term. But whatever it is that you do, you are sent as a representative of Jesus in that context if you've decided to follow Jesus. And so that means every day of the week, as you get up in the morning, as you go to wherever you go or stay at home if you work from home or look after your kids or whatever it is you find yourself doing, you have an opportunity to worship God. Because as you worship him, as you do the things that he has called you and sent you and equipped you to do, you actually do those things in the name of Jesus. So this is why this was so important at this point when in Acts, where the disciples go, we can't have this tension breaking out. We need to find some good people to be involved to make sure that happens. Because as a team, we will come together and we'll make a difference in our community. Uh, it is definitely my passion as part of this church that everyone who calls South Yonder at home, everyone who calls Ravenswood home, everyone who calls Pinjarra home, or anywhere within the Shire of Murray, or even broader to the Perth metro, even to the ends of the earth, that each of those people that we have a chance to interact with would find some encouragement. We have power. Woo! Sorry, I just said the urn's boiling, so. (laughs) We had to have a hot drink afterwards. Whatever it might be, that whoever that might be, whatever person that might be, that we as the church would help you find your place within our culture, within what you're looking to do. Because God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. God desires for you to play a role. And I'm very glad that you come and darken the doors of church on a Sunday and you come and sit in these chairs. I'm very glad that you serve in the ways you serve. Please continue to do that. We really do need it. It it does make a big difference. But our job as a church is to help you be a representative of Jesus wherever you work, rest and play. And we will all need to discover and learn and grow in our own gifts and some of you might be going now, I've got an idea of what my gifts are, but I'm petrified to use them. I'm, I'm petrified to actually stand out in that place. I had some chat. I'd love to walk with you. I'd love to work with you. There are others in the church who actually have some skills at walking with and working with you. It might be joining a life group. It might be committing to catching up with some others. It might be all kinds of different things. But as we rebuild as a church... Let the focus be not on growing an amazing Sunday service with hundreds of people coming, though I actually hope that is where things end up, but not because that's the goal. That is an outworking of the spirit being alive and active six days a week elsewhere. It's natural that it would flow over onto the seventh day. It would flow over into gathering together. It would flow over onto coming and praising and honouring and worshipping God. And that that's an outworking of the actual purpose but the the rest of the week you are equipped and empowered to follow Jesus